Welcome back to the Eduverse Enigma podcast. This week, we're chatting with special guest Michael Avis, founder and president of TapVigo Solutions. This episode, we'll be diving into VR and XR in the educational training space, equity, diversity, and inclusion in the classroom, and new technologies impacting the education space. You won't want to miss it. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Eduverse podcast. Today, I have Michael Avis on and really excited to have you on with your your past experience in the education space in virtual reality and your current experience in the space, Michael. So uh, could you give the audience a little introduction about yourself? Sure, Evan. Uh, Thanks for thanks for having me. Um, My name is Michael Avis. I've been working in education for, well, 24 years uh, up until about three months ago where I finally left higher ed and now I'm running my own company called Tap Vigo Solutions. And what my company does is it works with uh, educational institutions um, and other groups to look at ways that they could innovate their communication. And that involves a lot of obviously XR and immersive tech. Amazing. Amazing. And could you give a little bit of background on what you were doing in higher education uh, before you started Tapigo? Sure. So um, I worked at George Brown for about 10 years. And the last four years, I was working in their center for teaching and learning, where I really focused on innovative, innovative ways to teach, innovative ways to help students learn, um, and innovative ways for, for faculty to really start to look at new technologies and ways that they can harness those in their, in their teaching and learning. Um, and then sort of in that time, I've been working with on a consulting basis a little bit with some other schools just to sort of talk to them about where they're going and to help them look at a, look at a future vision for education. Amazing. Amazing. Um, and I guess to take, take a couple steps back, I'm curious, um, what was the reason that you wanted to go into education and are still, uh, in the education space and, trying to push it forward was it an experience that you had as a kid or having your own kids or, or what uh... well both my parents were professors so okay. I was always you know in academia in some ways um, I just kind of fell into it I graduated university and then I started my first job as an educational assistant in grade one in Guelph where I just sort of was in a classroom I just graduated from university and I was in a classroom um, one of my friend's parents was actually a, a professor, sorry, a teacher at the school, the principal. She said, can you come in? And spending the time in the grade one class just made me think, yeah, this is where I want to be. So I spent lots of time kind of drifting in and out. I lived in South America for 10 years and I taught there. And that's really where I started my ed tech journey, where I really started to see the innovation um, there. I, I, uh, I did my master's at uh, Kingston University in London, England. And I got my first chance to try the old smart boards, you know, the old smart boards with the trays and the four different, uh, yep, four yep. different pens. <laughs> yeah. And I started to do that. And I just said, wow, this is such a good way to, to use technology to engage students. Um, and then from there, when I moved back to Canada, I went to the University of Toronto, OISE, um, so the Ontario Institute for Studies. Then I worked in the TDSB for a bit, and I worked in, the, in a private school as well. So really, I've taught from grade one, educational assistant, all the way to university, con ed in university, and then college. So it's been a long, it's been a long journey. I do think that even though I'm not currently employed in a, in an educational institution, I'm always going to be a teacher, and I'm taking that, I'm taking that knowledge uh, to what I do now. Amazing, amazing, lifelong teacher, and I'm sure a lifelong learner as well. So. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I guess looking looking at that, I'm curious. Obviously, we're going to get into XR and other technologies that you're working with today. But you mentioned like the smart board when you were at Kingston, um, when you were in um, South America teaching. You mentioned that was like kind of your first step into ed tech. Like, what were some of the ed tech solutions that you were working on or working with? Then? Oh, no, way back in the day. So let's go back what fifteen years. I was one of the First one is to start using Google in the classroom and Google with faculty. So I was a vice principal of a 
of a British school in back in Chile. And I had a team of about five teachers and I said, let's start using Google calendars and let's start using, this is before Google classroom was even a thing. Okay. Um, so I started using some of that. We started recording, uh, YouTube videos way back when, and we would, we would, I was teaching English literature at the time. So we would do, um, we would do English literature, um, breakdowns of poems and, and plays we'd record on video with graphics and like, I think 15 years ago. Um, and given to our students. So really, since then, it's been everything that I do is thinking about different ways that students can get that content. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, universal design for learning that everyone talks about now and every institution is trying to implement it. Well, I mean, that's been around for a long time. It doesn't hasn't had the label of a universal design for learning, but I've always been thinking about, you know, for those learners who don't necessarily want to write an essay, or aren't really good at writing, how else can they express what they've learned and show what they've learned? Mm -hmm. um, so really, I mean, any sort of tech that you can imagine, I've tried it at George Brown. I was the first to use iPads um, for in class. So I we went out and we I got a pilot. We bought 40 iPads in a cart and I wheeled them into, uh, I think it was what was it, physical education or or something like that. And I had the students actually doing everything paperless. So I was one of the first ones, I think I was the first one at George Brown to try to bring in paperless delivery. And that was, oh, that was 10 years ago at least. Very cool, very cool. And it seems like this kind of a recurring theme with all of the guests that have been on the show, but I'll, I'll ask you as well, like, was that all just like passion driven and finding that technology yourself and bringing it to the classroom? There was no 100%. Uh, yeah. There was nobody saying you should do this. It was me. It was actually the reverse, which I'm sure you've heard from many of your guests, which was me kind of thinking about different solutions, kind of shopping it around to whoever would pay for it, uh, and then piloting it. So, yeah, it was driven by really my kind of passion for figuring out different ways to do things. Amazing. Amazing. And in finding that and then and finding those those solutions like you mentioned some students um might not learn through or might not be great at writing an essay or something along that line so introducing these technologies allows them to do something else um, to prove that they've learned what they're supposed to is that kind of the main motivation around bringing these technologies in or are there other aspects of them say i think that the industrial model of education has been around for a long time, and I'm sure lots of your listeners have, you know, watched that 12-minute clip from uh, Sir Ken Robinson, who talks about, you know, the educational model and how we, you know, it's designed on an industrial scale. The, the bell rings at three o'clock, we get summers off so that we can go work in the fields. You know, everyone's put in the same place at the same age, regardless of what their, what their abilities are. Like that model has been around for 200 years. And in most institutions, they're still embracing that same model. So I always thought, you know, for me as a learner, I didn't learn the same way as a lot of other people did. I didn't like writing essays. I could do it, but it wasn't my best way of expressing myself. I'm better socially. I'm better talking. I'm better um, using uh, audio and video and, and visual cues. So I was always thinking about how are there other ways that students can show that they understand Um without having to be sort of defined by this, the rigid, uh, you know, write a five paragraph essay with a thesis statement to describe what it is that you know. Yes. Yeah. Love that way of, yeah, looking at education because it is true. Everyone learns differently and, and at different paces. So yeah, amazing, amazing. And I guess jumping into the, the XR VR side of things then, like how, well, let's take a step back. Where did you, um, first try XR, VR, um, and then what led you to think it's a great uh, tool to bring into the education space? Four years, three, four years ago, I went to TESS, which is the the eCampus Ontario conference. And I always go to a lot of these conferences. I was presenting at a lot of conferences. I've presented in San Francisco, New Orleans, uh, with, mostly with the League of Innovation. And I always saw sort of what things, what people were doing, but 
four years ago, I went to this conference, and this is why people should go to conferences because they meet great people and they learn a whole lot. Is I met Rob Terrio from from Georgian, who I'm sure you've spoken to, and if you haven't, I'm sure you will. Just recorded with uh, him yesterday. Really, <laughs> you just recorded with him yesterday. There you go. Yeah. So he really is, you know, the guru when it comes to higher ed and immersive tech in Ontario. Everybody knows who he is. He's now running a you know micro credential through Georgian on teaching in VR. So we, him and I, got to start got to got to speaking. Um, I just started at the at the Center for Teaching and Learning in George Brown. So I went out and I bought uh, a visor. You know the old the visor you put your phone in, and I started hey. playing how much three sixty eight, and that's how it started. And luckily at George Brown, there are a few people who really believe in this and. Everything that I asked, can I buy this? Can I buy this? Can I experiment with this? They said yes, and they funded it. So really, I, would ha I had the ability to, to incubate and practice and fail a lot. I failed a lot um, at George Brown, um, and that sort of allowed me to really start to kick in and practice. And you know, we in eventually, we've been able to buy a whole bunch of headsets. They're now um, doing actual classes in VR during the pandemic. We tried a whole bunch of different ways to get the VR headsets to students. Uh, it was very messy, but in all that messiness, all that messiness just means learning. It just means figuring out what works, what doesn't work, and and doing that. So it's been a really, really fun journey for sure. Amazing. And what have been some of those like big learning pieces or, or tips that you could pass on to people jumping in for the first time? Oh, there's so many. Um, number one, and I'm sure everyone has said this, is failure is actually good. Uh, you know, I think the only the best way to start is to buy something, um, and try it and figure out and put people into it and find out why it, it works and doesn't work. Um, someone once said, I can't remember who actually said it, but you know, the good thing about breaking stuff is that you get to. Once it's broken, you get to open it up and see what's inside, right? That's good. Um, I wish I could attribute that quote to somebody, but whoever said it was very wise. You know, we always we think about we're buying something and we have to protect it, and it sits in an office somewhere and it's treated like this. Your first VR headset, for example, you know, it's treated like this special object that you have to be extremely careful with. Well, I always thought, no, let's get it out. Let's get, get it dirty. If we break it, we buy another one, right? Um so yeah, it, it's always been that experimentation part and that risk part. This also involves time. So you know, a lot of a lot of faculty don't have the luxury of spending hours figuring out how to use Steam and how to you know project your VR headset onto a screen if you only have one. Um, but I had the luxury of being in a position where I could spend a lot of time figuring out what worked and what didn't work. So yeah, number one would be taking a risk, just doing it, putting, jumping in. I'm a, I'm definitely a jump in with both feet kind of person. Um, and that can be detrimental because sometimes I get over my skis to use that. I'm not a skier, but I'm mortar, but to get over my skis, get a little bit far ahead of myself, which I do quite a bit, admittedly. Um, but really you just have to, you have to do it to actually try it. Great advice. Great advice. Definitely. I know ourselves, we failed so much, uh, starting up and same as you sure. broke a couple controllers and a few things, just getting the VR headset out there. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and, and once you've taken the risk, and I think this is the, the single biggest challenge right now in what we're doing is you have to sell it. So selling it becomes very difficult because you can buy one headset and you can fool around or you can buy 10 and get some students into it, but to get an institutional buy-in to get, buy-in from people who are higher up, who aren't necessarily in the classroom every day, that is a huge, huge challenge for VR and for XR. Um, as you know, I can tell you what it is and I can show you a video of what it is, but I can tell until I can get your head into a VR headset and show you what it is, it's very hard to sell. For sure. That was, that was going to be my next question. So like, you said you had a lot of support from George Brown and, and getting that those first initial pieces of equipment. Um, was that kind of just the next step was getting higher ups at the school into VR or what were the other things that you were doing to, to push it forward? Yeah, so 
we kind of just went rogue. So we would just, we put it into a bunch of different classes, architectural technology, um, event planning, and we just did a whole bunch of things. And then we tried to put together sort of promotional ideas. We presented conferences, we'd show them what we did. Um, and again, the same thing happened is people would see it on a 2D screen. They'd say, wow, this is amazing. But then everything else would take over their lives. They have to mark, you know, they have families. And it, it, it kind of looked like a nice, flashy, interesting option. But people weren't really, and people still aren't really buying into it fully. Um, but I think that's changing. I think slowly, you know, academic leads and, and VPs and people who sort of hold the purse strings are now looking at um, new ways of teaching and learning and innovative workspaces. And what's the, what's the new phrase now? Um, new ways of work, right? Okay. That will all start to integrate in. Yeah, that will all start to integrate into XR. It's just, it's going slowly for sure. Yeah, it's shifting, but yeah, it's, it's taking its time. Um, and def that's kind of, Similar advice that, that Rob gave when, when I was interviewing him, he was talking about just getting your first VR headset, setting it up and bringing in faculty from all different uh, programs and departments in to like get that demo. And then some of them are going to be like, yeah, let's try this out as a pilot in our class. And that gives you that initial traction to, to get going. Yeah. And faculty, you know, I mean, faculty have their ways of doing things. So if you're, you know, if you're teaching, I don't know, welding, you've been teaching welding for 10 years, and then all of a sudden someone who's not a welder comes in and say, hey, you should try this, that can be a hard sell, right? Because they have the ways of doing things. They have their PowerPoints, if that's the way that, you know, they're delivering their content or their teaching. Um, that transition can be tough. I mean, now Rob, you know, Georgian is really running with this. They're really embracing it. And I think he's got 300 plus headsets. He's working in five different labs or even more. You know, he's delivering this all over Southwestern Ontario to students. He's really driving this quite a bit. Um, and I think that says a lot about his ability to to sell it. You know, he's he has a position where he's, I'm not sure what his title is, director or manager of their innovative study, but their innovative space. You know, they've they've gone full into it. And I know Conestoga and Russ Fulbert has as well. And there's few quite a few institutions who have, but there's also quite a few institutions that have not. That really yeah, I wouldn't even say it's quite a few. It's kind of this this okay. strong maybe handful. there's three or four. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And most of them are still in the stage of somebody in their school of design or computer technology is trying it with ten people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we're. That's I think that's where we are right now. For sure. And I on that, like, what would be your recommendation for? How do they spread it past that point? Like when you were going to those other like architecture or other departments, did you have applications that like applied to those that you could like give them those demos in? Or were you just going in with the the one or two like 360 videos or other demos that you might already have? And then you're like, VR is cool. Let's find a solution for you. Um. They're moving slowly. I think they, and I've been to quite a few other institutions. Everyone's moving slowly. Um, VR in itself and XR, and I think augmented reality is going to become more and more prevalent. Um, I think it was, there was sort of this kind of balancing between VR, virtual reality, the headset, big, heavy, kind of makes you a little bit sweaty, can make you dizzy, and AR. And I think AR was kind of tra trailing. Now I feel like it's almost become equal where people are looking at augmented reality and virtual reality the same. I think augmented reality might even start to surpass virtual reality. Um, yeah, with the new hardware. A lot of, yeah. The new hardware. I mean, once Apple decides to make a move and if they do what people are expecting they're going to do, I suspect that that's going to be a watershed moment just as the iPad was or the iPhone was in 2006, 10? I think six, six with the iPad. I the iPhone. IPhone. Yeah, I think so. And the iPad with 2010, yeah. Once Apple gets into the game, I think that's going to change a lot of things. Um, but VR in itself is really complicated. It's very, very complicated. It's not, I'm not for, in, in my iPad pilot, I was bringing in one tool and it was the same piece of equipment that used the same Wi-Fi. 
it didn't have a keyboard, but really the technology was very similar to what they've been using. Now, when you're bringing in AR and VR, it's a completely different, it's a complete shift in the technology and it's a completely new, um, new phase. So really that transition is tough. It's, it's, it's not easy. Um, but if we, as we keep going and as the market starts to, I think the market in this case is going to push education. I think usually, you know, education is always a few steps lower, slower, especially public institutions. They're always a bit slow. Um, but I think at this point, the market is going to start to push the education system forward. So as Meta starts to, and Meta is a bad example because they're going through a rough time right now, a lot of value in what they're doing. But as Meta and as Microsoft and um, Epic Games and all these big companies start to move, I think they'll slowly start to bring education forward. I'm not sure if I even answered your question. <laughs> no, I, I think that I think that answers it. Uh, yeah, I, now actually I can't remember exactly what the question was, but I think you can get, <laughs> I think you mostly answered it. Um, it. Interesting that you say that about industry pushing education forward, though, because I was reading an article and I think I posted it in one of my Friday recaps a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it was kind of arguing for the opposite side of things of, well, not exactly, but how education has pushed so many technologies forward and like the internet being interested sure. in, in colleges, sure. things along those lines. And it was saying like, education kind of has an opportunity right now where yeah. open standards are being set and uh, different like SDKs and things are being developed where if education takes a hold of that and like obviously ourselves we're on the immersive learning research network and all these different networks yeah. that are setting these standards um and the article is kind of arguing that education in the past has continued to drop the ball where it invents the internet and then doesn't get any benefit from it so i'm curious on your thoughts is there any way that you think education could uh, looking back to what you were saying like leapfrog and then have some sort of benefit from the impact it could make well listen i think so much innovation comes from education so much innovation comes from these campuses across canada north america and the world where you've got you know this little intrepid group of professors teachers educators who are trying things and one thing that education allows that educational institutions allow um, is a place to fail, but also a place to test. You know, big companies, so Meta, to use that example, they can go ahead and produce these headsets and they can have all their technicians and and uh, designers figure out how it works, but really they get tested in schools. And that's really where the development's going to bring, going to be. What I mean by um, industry driving education at this point is again, I think there's a bottleneck and the bottleneck is decision makers at colleges who have a whole bunch of things to worry about. And probably at this point, XR is not one of their major concerns. They're, they're worried about enrollment. You know, the last three years, they're worried about COVID. There's lots of other, they're worried about budget constraints. There's lots of other things that they need to worry about. So I think probably XR is not one of them. But as, we, as they start to look at strategic plans for four or five years ahead, there's no doubt you know, these administrators are seeing what industry wants and industry saying, hey, what's going on with VR? How do I train uh, my technicians using AR or VR to help them be more efficient? They're then through uh, the PAC meetings that they have at college level anyways, they're then going and saying, we want to take a look at this. That's filtering to the administration. And I'm hoping at that point, industry is going to drive the administration where they start to buy it. And that's where you're going to get education becoming more important because they'll be able to test and train students to use it, right? Um, and that's where I think that that's really, really important is that I, it's hard for the professor to drive the institution from below. I know this is sort of a reverse of way, the way that people think about things that, you know, you want to stop at the start of the grassroots, but I think they're going to converge. So I think these administrators will say, okay, we need to start doing this, they'll start to look at their own institutions and they'll say, oh, there's five professors over there in the center of culinary arts who are using this. Let's start to look and see what they're doing. So I think this, there's going to be a convergence. 
Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting way to to look at it from from there. And this is a, usually a question I leave till later in the conversation. But since we're kind of here, where do you think, yeah. or and how do you think XR is going to impact education, and how do you think the landscape may change over the next? You were saying like maybe five years, ten years. I know it's always the big question. <laughs> That's the big question. Um, and I don't want to get involved in the hype cycle. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, is it Asana's law? Is that the? I, I'm not great with names, but it's the one where that says, you know, technology is always underestimated or overestimate underestimated in the beginning, but then overestimated in the long run. I, I, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It might yeah, be Asana's yeah. Law. So. Yeah, um, but where, you know, we say, ah, well, it's new tech, it's not going to do anything, and then 10 years from now, it's it's ubiquitous, and it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So long-term, this is a revolution in education. It's a revolution for students who, as I said, were only given one opportunity to express and one opportunity to learn. You do it through watching a PowerPoint or reading a textbook, go to chapter 12, read the 10 pages, I'll assess what you learned, and that's it. It it's going to be revolutionary, and I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm on the cheering bandwagon. I have a lot of concerns um, with it, specifically with accessibility. I think that's a real concern. But you know, in five years, I could see every school, and I mean, secondary, post-secondary, having a VR lab, having VR headsets available. I mean, five hundred dollars a VR headset. What is a what did a Chromebook cost five years ago, right? Probably a similar cost. Now, every school has Chromebooks that they give out to students. In the next 10 years, five to 10, I think every student is going to have access to some kind of immersive tech. It might not be It might not be a headset. It might be on your mobile device. It might be in a pair of glasses that are, that are invented by, you know, or brought on by Apple. It could be a whole bunch of different ways. And I'm I'm going to go through this whole conversation without answering, without using the M word, right? <laughs> but there's a lot of different ways. To, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to use it at all. Um, but there's lots of ways to get into that. So I can see, you know, I'm working with some schools. I just said, look, start the way that I started. Buy one headset. Put it in your library and grade, you know, in your high school. One headset. Use, I don't know, um, a 360 tour of Egypt. And when you hit that in grade, I believe that's grade six, grade five. Um, that might be a bit early, but let's say when you're when you're doing a history class and you have one experience on one headset in the library, have your students go in and try it on their own and see what the results are. I think that's where it's going to start. But in the long term, immersive education is going to be central in how people learn. Couldn't I couldn't agree more on it. I think that's a, a great way to start it out in the library and then great vision of where it could be in five to 10 years. Um, obviously, that is is very exciting, but you did mention the concern of accessibility and as well, uh, other guests have mentioned other concerns. So thinking, let's say we are 15 years down the road and maybe let's say that yeah. all, all kids have their own headsets that they're bringing. So the school doesn't have to worry about buying them. The content's available. What are some of the concerns that you would say a school might want to be thinking about maybe today or just starting to plan for in the future? There's a lot. There's a lot of concerns. What are your top three um, or top three? Okay, so right a professor that I was working with said something to me that was very wise. And he said, I love all this immersive technology. Um, but we can't even figure out Instagram. We can't even figure out TikTok, right? So think about that. Think about TikTok and think about Instagram. Think about the benefit, but also think about the real damage that that's doing to children and and adults, right? Now multiply that by a thousand and have them not just sitting there on a screen, but actually being in a space that provides that same stimuli, right? So. You know, instead of me instead of me watching a TikTok video, I'm now participating in it in the social space. We, you know, VR chat or or work. What is it? Horizons or workrooms? Horizon. Yeah, Horizon World. Horizon World. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or Roblox or any of those or or any of those sort of mass gaming tools. Think about now immersing people in it. 
So we haven't even figured out the challenge. We haven't even figured out what to do with social media, which is a really dangerous. We're in a dangerous place right now. Are we ready to start putting people into that space? And I have some very serious concerns about that. I think there's also a concern about, and I know that, you know, they say that at 13 should be the time that you're allowed to use the VR headset regularly. I've even heard that they're looking at making it 16. Um, this technology hasn't been around for a long time. So what does it do to kids who are all of a sudden spending three hours a day in virtual reality? Um, what does it do to them cognitively? What does it do to, you know, their understanding of spatial reality if they're spending way too much time in a space that's not real? Um, so I think that one is a big concern. I think, um, as I said, social media, another big concern of mine, and this is a passion that I have, is, um, is digital equity. You know, I've been to a lot of conferences and when I go to these conferences, I see the same face. I see the same demographic. It's mostly white male developers. No offense to you, Evan. Um, <laughs> I'm not a developer, but yeah, <laughs> completely. Know what you're in entrepreneurs, in business owners, <laughs> yeah. the demographic is, is certainly, you know, skewed towards a certain group of people. How do we get men? How do we get women in there? How do we get minorities? How do we get, you know, black people like me? How do I get those people involved? And I think and there's a danger that the spaces that we are creating that are new continue the same trajectory of the spaces that are old. So how do we make that shift? How do we make it equitable? Great point. No, for, for sure. Definitely need to, to make it equitable. Um, and the social media side is very interesting because it could go either way. It's like we could go down the route that we've already been on with TikTok and Instagram, et cetera, or maybe it's giving people more control. So now like it's lessening what these platforms can do. It's uh, we'll have to see where it goes. I don't know. Do you have, I'm going to ask you the question. Do you have confidence in the way that, and I have young kids, the way that people are glued to their phones and the way that people are influenced by I mean, Facebook and Twitter are for old people, but TikTok, Instagram, Snap, whatever is coming, do you have faith that VR is going to break the mold and do something different? Um, I would say, like, for the most part, looking at TikTok, Instagram, et cetera, like, I don't have faith looking at those, but I guess my glimmer of optimism or hope looking at... Um, like you mentioned, Roblox or Rec Room or Minecraft or these places where you can see kids are, they're coming together and they're creating something that they're passionate about, they're excited about, and they're able to spend their time in that way. And, and sometimes it's related to education as well. It's like, well, if we're working with these platforms where it's not just about consuming content and it has easier ways to create content and be involved in the content, that's where I have that optimism on Listen, where it could go. If if I were back in education, so let's say that I'm back in teaching, I also taught grade five, grade seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Let's say I'm in grade four, grade five. We'll just say, take grade five. And I could design a, a class. Um, I would do it all in, in Minecraft. I would create an entire class. And it's math, social studies, physical education, um, any subject, and it's all linked to Minecraft. I think Minecraft is brilliant. My son plays it all the time, and he builds and creates things all the time, and he loves it, and it's he's creative, and he goes on to YouTube and figures out how to do it and then just does it himself. Like It's creating really wonderfully creative kids, um, but there's always the dark side, which is when you make it social, then you're allowing, then your child is not doing it on his own. He's now doing it with people he doesn't know from places he doesn't know. And then you've got that danger start to start to move in, right? As well as what is that social company collecting in the background and trying? Well, how are they benefiting? And, yeah. and what are they marketing? You know, like you've seen what you've seen what Roblox is doing. I mean, Nike has stores everywhere. So now how are you? You know, you're moving marketing into a different domain where children are running around creating on their own. And they're not, you know, they're probably not able to discern, you know, what is marketing and what is not. So 
yeah, there is that real um, conflict between freedom and open and open educational resources or open resources, and on the other side, marketing, data collection, like those are those are concerns. No, that's very good point. And I think Nike is a, a perfect example in Roblox because for for those in the audience that haven't been in the the Nike space, like it has your your space where you're buying clothing and everything, but then the rest of the world is a creative space where you get your own plot of land and you can build anything you want. And it's like, as a kid, that sounds amazing. I just jump in and, but like you said, there's logos and ads and everything everywhere. And you're being drawn into that, that brand. And how do we control that? So, I mean, I'm sure there's parental, I'm, I'm focusing on, I guess, kids, cause I have three yeah. of them. Yes. Um, but I can see what they're doing on their phones. I can see what they're watching on VR, or sorry, on on their iPads. How do we control what's going on in a social space in VR? If we don't even, if we as parents don't even understand it, like most of us don't even understand, a lot of people don't even understand, you know, snap filters. But what happens when we're adding a new technology layer that we understand even less? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that one's a an interesting one. I don't know if you have any any thoughts. I yeah, I don't know how to. Yeah, I have those uh, those parental controls in VR at the moment, other yeah. than limiting the games that people can play. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's listen. Everything is good in moderation. Yes, everything is good in moderate. Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Things could be less bad with moderation, right? Um, but you know, lots of people are now are spending lots of time in front of screens. That that moderation's not there. So. I am concerned about it, and I'm concerned about it in the long term, 10, 15 years. You know, what happens when my daughter, who's four, what's that going to be like when she's 19? Yes. Right? Yeah, it's a very interesting future we're heading towards. And I guess to take a step back to what you were saying earlier and look at it uh, on another lens, I would love to talk about, well, first, uh, the work that you've been doing with, with body swaps and then in conjunction with that, like how you think that we can make uh, VR more equitable moving forward as a society? Well, that's a... It's a big one. A really, it's a big one, yeah. Um, a lot of people that I've talked to have, you know, identified that because we're going into a completely new realm, um, again, the M, the M word, uh, Listeners, you can Evan can tell you what it is, but I've decided just to stop using it altogether. Um, it's metaverse, if you don't. <laughs> thank you. Um, that provides a whole new opportunity, right? So, if we're going to build something, can we build it better than what we've built previously? I think there's lots of opportunities there. Um, it's and this is kind of why we. This is one of the reasons that I created or I, I thought about the Let's Talk About Race modules, which is Body Swaps. Um, and just to tell everybody if they haven't heard, it's Body Swaps is a, they they're, they call themselves the soft skills training for, uh, or a plate simulator for soft skills. So they're allowing you to not only learn, but also practice your soft skills in safety in VR, which is a really, really amazing tool. Because one of the things that I often hear is, we can learn it, but we can't practice it unless we're in a real situation. And when you're talking about things like race or gender um, or indigeneity or uh, religion, whatever, there are not a lot of safe spaces where you can have those conversations and make that work. So we created Let's Talk About Race to have those conversations and sort of help to shift the behavior and the thought of different people. So with that in mind, you know, I'm hoping that through technologies like let's talk about or body swaps and the modules let's talk about race or their whole diversity um, suite of modules that people can start to think about way think about things in a different way can understand where they sit in the line in the sort of privileged hierarchy and then shift and think about how can I include people who are not necessarily in that same space the vast majority of business owners, um, in the tech space, as I've said, the vast majority of the developers are white. And that's that, that's because this is the system that they came from. So how do we start to include people who are not within that demographic? And that's hard. 
because a lot of people don't have contact, you know, like you don't have contact with female developers. I think the, the challenge is you need to go find, you need to make an effort to go find those diverse voices, those diverse professionals, um, and don't get them from the circles that you might, you might see regularly, go find them. There's lots of black tech um, associations where, where you can find people like that. You know, there's lots of different places that you can go out and look and find these. And as we as we get more and more, you know, that groundswell will start to grow. And we'll, we'll have people who are sitting in a room and saying, hmm, you know, that avatar that we've created looks a certain way. Can we create five more that look different? Um, can we think about the ways that we present content in a different way? Um, it's a big challenge, but I think, I think it's possible. It just takes, it takes will. That's really it. I'll com completely agree. I think it takes will and and finding those people and getting connected with those, those different groups that are out there instead of just the groups that you're currently with. And then, and then on like the development side, uh, something that I noticed, like, well, our team noticed uh, 10 months ago or so, Ready Player Me is a software that we use a lot for our avatars. And it really only had like one body shape for everybody. And it was, we yeah. had to do some internal edits, uh, but now they've made those adjustments and it's something you need to be paying and attention hair, to. And hair, and hair texture. Yes. There are very few avatars, Ready Player Me, I go on there and Verbella, I've used that before. You know, most of these avatar creators, they've got, a whole bunch of different hairstyles, but they don't have different hair textures. So I can never find the hair that looks like mine. Meta has really, really upped their game. Um, they have a huge variety of characters that you or avatar um, modifications that you can make. But the vast majority of avatars, and that's a very simple, you know, it's a simplified way of looking at things, but avatars are important. And we're still pretty far behind in creating texture. Now, does that mean we can't do it? Or does that mean we haven't focused on doing it? Yeah, I would think the latter for most. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have the technology. I've seen some amazing, I think, with the Unreal Engine 5 and, you know, some of the really incredible realistic um, content that's created. I'm pretty sure you can make an afro that actually looks like kinky hair, right? Yes. Um, but that's just, you know, that's one example. No, no, but it's a, a perfect example that is very, very obvious if you're somebody that doesn't know what we're talking about. It's very easy to see where, where that is missing. And if you're creating an avatar that looks like yourself, uh, there should be options to make it look like yourself. That's right. That's right. And having people within your institution or, or your company who can challenge that. You know, I don't expect, if everyone looks the same and they're creating the same avatars, everyone's going to say, oh, it's great. Because yes. they don't have anybody with a different voice who can say, hold on a second. Have we thought about this? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, I see we're, we're starting to come up on time. So how I've been liking to end these is having kind of a rapid fire session. Not all of these are related to VR education. Uh, so I'll just say one or two words and then you respond, uh, whatever comes to mind first. So first one, pop culture. Pop culture. Pop culture. Do I, do I, is this a word association? So I have to say one word with it. Yeah, try, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Some people have been saying sentences, so I don't mind, but yeah. Pop culture. I'm too old for pop culture. That's my response. Okay. It, similar to Rob's, in the, but then we went in a different direction yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, conference or conferences. Conference or conferences. Opportunity. I was, I recently presented at the, AWE conference in Lisbon and it was a great opportunity to meet people and to see where the industry is. So, you know, any opportunity, it's not about trying on the fancy tech. That's one part, but just kind of getting a feeling for where the industry is. That's really important. And I want to add one thing is that I met, I met this, this young gentleman who is doing his master's in VR at Swansea and he's a, I think he's, he was born in Zimbabwe. Brilliant young guy. Um, anybody should snap him up in a second 
but he's from Zimbabwe and he has a confusing name. And you think, you know, why is he not getting the opportunities he should be getting if he were a different person? So those are the kinds of people you can meet in conferences and they can help to uh, influence the decisions that you make. For sure. Yeah, so much opportunity. And I know you you sent me uh, his LinkedIn. So uh, we are linked to, to hire in, in January. So he's on, on my list to, to reach out to once we have those positions. That was a subtle, that was a subtle nudge by you, for you. And yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else? Next one. Yeah, unity or unreal? I'm an educator. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I honestly, I don't, I don't care. I, I care about, is it something that people can use to learn? If it's unity, if it's unreal, doesn't matter to me as long as the tool does what it, what I need it to do. Makes a lot of sense. Perfect. Um, NFTs or educational NFTs or just anything blockchain in your mind. Wow. Okay. Um, my brain can only fit so much. And my brain fits right now in trying to figure out this business, trying to understand how um, to promote and convince people the value of immersive tech. I've, I've thought about NFTs, blockchain, Web3. I've looked at all of that and I just said my brain doesn't fit. So... I guess one of the things that would that associates with this is I think for people like you who are in the space where your job is to understand this stuff, you're, and I use this analogy a lot, you're building Ferraris, right? So you're building Ferrari, you're trying things and you're using the newest tech Unreal or, or um, any developer tool you have a very nice car. The people that I work with don't even have their driver's licenses. Right? right? They don't understand any of this. They don't really care about it. They just say, okay, how can what you're giving me help me do what I need to do? Um, so my brain has not had the time to really delve into Web3, NFTs, blockchain. I know it's there. I know smart people like you are going to put it to a way that I can understand it and then I can take it to people who don't have driver's license. That's, sure, that's sure. how I see it. Makes a lot of sense. And yeah, definitely something that we're, we're I've been in the NFT blockchain space for a while and now at Expert BR, we're starting to look at how can we present that uh, to innovators like yourself in the education space. So for sure on its way. Yeah, like I think, I honestly think what I do, I think what Rob does and a lot of people do is we're filters. I'm a filter. I'm taking what you're showing me and what I'm understanding in the develop in the sort of XR um, space with companies and developers. I'm filtering it through what I know, and I'm trying to have it come out in a way that the people who don't have driver's licenses to kill this metaphor completely, <laughs> they can actually start to learn how to drive. So really, I'm reaching out to all of you. You guys are reaching out to me. I'm filtering it and thinking, okay. What is it that I learned from you, Evan, that's going to mean something to, you know, a nurse that's training at St. Michael's Hospital or, you know, a second year international business student? How does that, how can I fit that? Right? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. To run through, let's run through uh, three more quickly. Uh, first one, education. It, everything starts and ends Everything starts and ends with education. Education is easy to ignore, especially if you're a big company. But your goal as a company is to have users, right? If you don't get the professors and the teachers to understand and to start to use what it is that you're selling, how are their students going to consume what it is that you're selling? So really, you know, I think educators and education should be the focus for industry because they're going to be the ones who are going to filter, right? Who are going to filter everything to their students and their students will graduate and become consumers. So education for me is absolutely vital. Love it. Yeah, definitely important uh, as a 
tool to to learn and be a, a great part of society. But then, yeah, that's a good point of it be a huge tool for uh, industry as well. Uh, the problem is education doesn't have money. That's yeah. and that's the hard part for industry. To, that's the hard part for industry to understand. They're not going to get immediate gains from spending a lot of time, you know, looking at a high school in Toronto or anywhere else. But yes. the long term, for sure. And then last one, um, had a, a bunch of amazing guests so far on the podcast. I know you don't know them all because uh, it's not out yet, but um, who would you suggest other people we should have on the podcast to have these types of conversations? Well, that's a good question. Um, do you have any young people? Have you had any students? Have you had any people who've had their first experiences with VR or immersive not tech? Had any students. You that's know? a very interesting one. Yeah. yeah. So, so to push uh, to push my man um, from Swansea, you know, he's the kind of person who could give you some insight to what a twenty-four-year-old is thinking about. I think okay. you've probably talked to old people like me. You've probably talked to edu- educators, developers, owners. Exactly. Maybe talking to some people who are starting out in the journey to find out what what it is that they need and what they do and how we can tailor it to them. Love it. Love it. I am adding that to my list of people to reach out to and get on the podcast. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, Michael, I know you have to, have to get going, but thank you for being on the podcast. Is there anything that you would like to say to the audience, anything that you would like to ask of them, or should they just check out TapVigo and get connected with you on LinkedIn? Check out, check out TapVigo. Find me on LinkedIn. Um, Find body swaps. Find let's talk about race. Um, we're getting a lot of really good interest from a lot of different schools and institutions um, and companies, businesses. Uh, it's a it's a project that is near and dear to my heart, um, and I think it has immense value. So, listeners, um, find me on LinkedIn and uh, we can talk. Awesome, and yeah, we'll we'll link to. Uh... Let's talk about race and Tapigo and your your LinkedIn in the show notes, so everyone can find it easily. Well, yeah, Michael, thank you again Perfect. for coming on the podcast. It's been a great conversation, and hope you have a great weekend. All right, we'll see you soon, Evan. Bye bye. See you soon. Thanks, everyone.